Well, good morning. When I say it's good to see you, I'm speaking from my heart. That is really, that is really true. I, have, I love you guys. I love being with you. You, you charge my batteries, and I appreciate that. Uh, before we um, get into our study this morning, I just want to say uh, a word because I think everybody's looking to me for some kind of direction as to the governor's uh, mandate that everyone wear masks, and so I want to say a couple things to that. Uh, first, do I believe the governor has overstepped his constitutional authority by mandating that everyone wear masks and in the past closed down businesses and churches? Yeah, I think he probably has. Second, do I believe the Democrats are doing everything they can to uh, work toward, and this COVID-19 thing and the mask thing are all a part of that, to keep President Trump from getting reelected? Yeah. I believe that too. Do I believe there is enough evidence to prove that wearing a mask uh, will really protect us? Probably not. That said, we got to get our economy back up and going full speed ahead again. We've got to get our people back to work. We've got to get people going back out into the restaurants, back into the businesses. We have to get people feeling confident again. We have to get our kids back into school and universities again and feeling safe about it. We have to get our people feeling confident enough that they can come to God's house and not go away sick, but go away better. We have to do that. And if wearing a mask is a part of helping that to happen, I'm all for it. So what we're doing as a church is we're asking you, we're not mandating you, we're asking you, when you come in and you're fellowshipping and you're, you're chit-chatting and you're encouraging people within six feet, wear a mask. And as you go out, put the mask back on again as you say hello to people on your way out. Mask isn't gonna help you if you're six feet away from somebody. So inside that six feet, if you're with somebody, wear a mask. If not, you can take it off. Like pretty much everybody uh, in here, matter of fact, I'm looking, I think, everybody in here has their mask off, and we're six feet apart. So I feel safe. Amen? Amen. I feel safe. Okay, so I said that. Now let's get into the Word. I was almost afraid to say anything because I knew I'd make some people angry no matter what I said. But I felt like, as you, you know, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. The goats don't. Sheep do. So I'm trying to speak to the sheep. Okay. Keys. We're, we're looking at these keys of the kingdom. And today we're going to look at the key of prayer. Prayer is a key. If we'll insert the key, if we'll engage the key, then the power of God begins to work in our lives. So we're talking about prayer today. And I want you just for a season, just for the time we're talking, would you please put everything else you've learned about prayer in the past in neutral? And let's look at prayer from a new perspective and let's see if maybe God wants to say something to us that we haven't thought of before. And if we have preconceived ideas, then we're, we're pretty much closed to anything new God wants to say. I want to start out by reading Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 um, from the Contemporary English Bible. He says, when you pray, he's speaking to his disciples, and if we're disciples, we can 
receive this as a word he's speaking to us. When you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They loved pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. King James Version says he will reward you openly. And I think that's, the, that's the, uh, what God is trying to say to us in that, even though that's not in the original text. So he's telling us prayer is a personal thing. It's a personal thing. Is it personal for you? It sure does help me, though, when I'm around other people who are praying. And we're going to talk about that, because I want to share eight principles about prayer and i got to move with the time limitations we have. Number one, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. What I'm doing right now is a monologue. I'm speaking to you, and with the exception of a comment from John every now and then, <laughs> it's a monologue. I'm the only one doing the communication. You're listening. A dialogue is when there's interaction. A dialogue is when I say something to you, and that prompts you to say something back, which prompts me to say something back, and we have this interaction going on. That's, that's a dialogue, two people communicating with one another. Prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. It's not God sitting up in heaven listening to me give a speech to him about how terrible my life is and what he ought to do with it. A dialogue is when I plead with God to intercede in my life, and then God speaks back to me. And sometimes he speaks to me right then, and sometimes he gives me the answer 24 hours later, or two days later, or a week later, and all of a sudden it dawns on me, oh, that scripture I'm just reading is an answer to what I prayed for last week. That's how it's supposed to work. This is what Jesus meant, I believe, when he said, watch and pray. Do your praying, but watch for the answer. The answer's going to come. But if you're not watching for it, you think you said the final amen, and so the prayer is over, you're not going to get an answer. You're going to miss it when it comes. It's like somebody, somebody throwing a baseball our way when we have our back turned. We're going to get the ball okay, but we're not going to get the point. <laughs> Jeremiah 33.3 in the message version says, This is God's message. The God who made the earth made, uh, made it livable and lasting, known everywhere as God. This is his message. Call to me and I will answer you. I'll tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. God is the creator He's the engineer who designed life on this planet. He knows how to make it work. He knows how to fix the problems. He knows he's the troubleshooter. We need to convey to him our, our concerns, our fears, our anxieties, quote, 
problems we see, evil we see in the world, we need to talk to him about that, and then he will tell us what he wants us to do. He will reveal to us mysteries that we could never figure out going to the library or the psychologist. He's going to show us things nobody else can figure out. Prayers are a dialogue. Here's number two. Your spirit prays what you cannot. When I pray for something, I'm praying for a, a, a problem that I see, something that is evident to me. But there are mysteries all around me because I believe in angels, I believe in demons, I believe in spiritual forces that are good, and I believe in spiritual forces that are bad in the world around me right now. Influencing you, influencing me, influencing everybody around us. And I need something spiritual to help me see the spiritual, because I can't see it in the natural. My prayers are all wrapped around people I know who have problems, problems that I know, but I can't see beyond that. So I need my spirit. You see, the spirit of God comes inside of me, lives in here, lives inside of you. And the Spirit of God prays. He prays. If you understand what you're praying, it's your prayers. If you're praying and you don't understand what you're praying, that's your spirit praying. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. My prayers are usually about my will. God, will you help me with this? God, will you help me with that? But the Spirit prays for what God wants to see happen. Something that I can't see. And there are many of us in this room who have a prayer language. You've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and God has given you a prayer language that you don't understand. It's a language that's gibberish to you, makes absolutely no sense. It's because it's your spirit on the inside that's praying. If you want to be in control of your life, you don't need a prayer language. But if you want God in control of your life, you need a prayer language, and you need to use it. I also know there's people in this room that have that prayer language, a supernatural gift from God, but you don't use it because you don't understand it. Because you want to be in control, and that's not in control. you got to let God move. And God will say things in the Spirit up into heaven that you don't understand. And it will affect your life tomorrow because your Spirit just prayed. So your Spirit prays what you cannot. Here's number three. Oops, hope I don't lose that. Yeah, there it is. Prayer should be continual. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. What does, what does ceasing mean? It means you stop. Pray 
That's positive. Without ceasing. Don't stop. In other words, most of the understanding of what our prayer is, what we've been taught since we've been children, doesn't line up with that. Because we've been taught to say our Father in heaven, and then we say what we want from God, and then we say amen, and the prayer's over. He says you don't say amen. Nothing wrong with saying amen. Amen just simply means so be it. I agree. I'm in agreement there. So if we're in church service and somebody says amen out loud from the back, they're saying, I agree with that. It's okay to say that. Pray without ceasing. So how in the world am I going to concentrate on my job if I'm praying? See, I think we have a different concept of what prayer is. I think prayer should be an attitude of my continual conversation with God. You can be in the, in the car with your wife or your husband or your best friend. And you can go for miles in the car and never say a word and still be communicating. You know what I'm talking about? Because you're one, you're one connection. And it's interesting because sometimes I'll say something and my wife was just thinking about that same thing. Because we're on the same team. An attitude. An attitude of prayer. Instead of talking to yourself, which is what you do all day long on the job when you're not talking to somebody else, your mind is spinning. And either your lips are moving or your mind is spinning, but you are communicating with yourself. Instead of communicating with yourself, just shift gears and let that communication be to God. Have this uh, continual, um, maybe not verbal, but psychological communication with God all the time. And then you will catch the little signals that he sends your way. the The little answers that come to you. So don't stop. Keep it up, church. Keep it up. Don't stop praying just because church is over. You walk, you're out in the parking lot. Keep your attitude of prayer going. Every morning before your feet hit the floor, you should be laying there with your head on your pillow trying to get your eyes open. Say, Lord, this is another day. I want to give it to you. Guide my steps. Let every interruption come from you. Father, I just want to be your servant today. Start every day that way. Be a good idea. The next time you're in your car going to work first thing in the morning, have the same conversation. God, here I am again, going to this same place. You know I don't like it here, but Father, this is where you place me. I want to be your witness. I want to live for you today. Commit, recommit your life every day, not just when the pastor says, how many want to rededicate your life to Christ? Okay, should be continual. Here's number four. Prayer needs motivation. Amen. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room is just as lazy as I am. (laughs) Making myself pray is an effort because I'm lazy like everybody else. I'd rather watch that TV show or check and see what texts I've got coming in. But I need to have that communication with God continually. Prayer needs some motivation. And God is wise enough (laughs) To know how to motivate us. 
But do we recognize the prayer motivation? Three things come to my mind that God uses to motivate us to pray. Number one is crisis. Whether it's in your home, in your own personal life, maybe a bad news report you got from the doctor. Nobody knows about it yet, but just you and the doctor. But you know it, and that ought to make you want to pray. That ought to be a crisis that moves us into prayer. When there's problems in your marriage, when there's problems in your finances, when there's problems with your health or the world around us, that ought to motivate us to pray because we know we can't handle this by ourselves. We need a higher power acting in our lives here in this situation. Here's the second thing that motivates me. My peers. You know what a peer is? I don't mean a, a, a dock on the lake. I don't mean that kind of a peer. I mean... You're, you're people just like you, people in your social network, your, your peers, your equals. When my peers pray, it motivates me to pray because I, I don't want to be less spiritual than them. About once a month, maybe a little less than that, I get together with Pastor Dennis Kutzner and some other pastors and church leaders around for prayer. And usually they come here just because it's a kind of a central meeting place. And we have a prayer time. He leads us in prayer for about an hour and a half. I can't not pray around those guys. They're my peers. And they motivate me. If you've never been around praying people, you probably don't have much of a motivation to pray. But if you're around praying people and you see the passion that's going on inside of them, it kind of rubs off on us. Oh, here's another thing that motivates me to pray testimony. Hearing somebody else tell me their story, that they prayed and there was a great breakthrough, God did amazing thing in their life, that makes me want to pray because I want God doing that kind of thing for me. Amen. If God will answer their, their, their uh, prayer, maybe he'll answer my prayer. Surely he loves me as much as he does them. So crisis is a motivator. My peers are motivators. And my testimony is a motivator. And if you, want, if you want to hear some motivation, call up my wife and ask her why you ought to pray. She'll motivate you to prayer because that's a passion inside of her. All right, moving on. Number five. Prayer releases angel armies. King James says the Lord, he's the Lord of hosts. What's the hosts? They're the angel armies. The NIV come up with that translation, and I love it. Angel armies, armies in the heavens. Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3 says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Three weeks. Seven days in a week. Three full weeks is 21 days. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Jump down to verse 12. It says, Then he, this is the angel that came, then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 
21 days. And behold, Michael, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. This is an angel communicating. And he said, you started praying, humbling yourself, fasting, seeking me for wisdom on what God wants to say. You were praying. And the first day you prayed, God sent me. But I've been doing battle in the heavens for 21 days, for three weeks. There was a battle going on in the heavens between the angels and the demons. Spiritual powers, battles going on. And then finally Michael was released to come and help me, and we defeated the, un, the unclean spirits, and here I am to give you exactly what you were praying for 21 days ago. So here's a good example of a prayer being lifted up to God. God answered the prayer from the first day, but it took three weeks for there to be a spiritual victory so that the answer could be manifest. I believe there are some things that take longer than 21 days. And we don't dare stop praying. If Daniel had, would have stopped praying on the 20th day, the angel probably wouldn't have had his breakthrough. Daniel, Daniel wouldn't have got his answer. But he pressed in. And I think some of us have been praying for things longer than 21 days and we're frustrated and we're discouraged because we don't see an answer. Listen, church, keep praying. Some of these things are bigger spiritual battles in the heavens than we know. Prayer releases angel armies. Here's number six. Prayer precedes intervention. You want God to step in and intervene, prayer comes first. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. You see, Jesus had a lot of disciples. Jesus was the Son of God. He could have went through all those disciples and picked out the 12 he wanted, just hand chose. But he didn't want to just hand choose. He wanted God's advice. So he spent all night praying. Here's a principle we see. Every, anytime we see Jesus in intense prayer, the next thing we read is some breakthrough that happens. There's a, there's a reason that connection is there. Because God gives answers. The next time you're reading in, in, the, in the Gospels and you see Jesus was uh, praying for a long period of time or an intense prayer, look and see what happens right after that. It's a breakthrough. So if you want God to intervene in your life, in your situations, spend some time in prayer. Here's number seven. Prayer should involve your emotions. Here the traditional church has, has tried to say emotions shouldn't be a part of it. We should keep our emotions at home. Uh, we should, this, is a, this is a business meeting with Jesus, right? We're supposed to keep it together. But I want you to know that your emotions are a quality of your soul. And if God's at work in your soul, it's going to affect your emotions. So emotions should motivate us to prayer. Anger is a good example. There's two things I can do with my anger. I can throw insults at you. That might make me feel a little better. Or I can pick up a rock and throw it at you. 
that, that probably would make me feel better. <laughs> or I can pray Amen. and give it to God yes. and act like I love you and do loving things for you and let God clean your clock because he'll do a good job. Anger should motivate us to pray, should bring us to our knees. You see an injustice in the world. You see an unfairness. You see something happening that's just wrong that ought to make you angry. But sin not. Take it to God. Unload it on God. Let God go to work and fight your battles for you. Here's the second thing. Sadness. Grief. We all see things that make us sad. You watch the news lately. There are some things that probably ought to make you angry. And some things that ought to make you sad. This is America. And looking at what's happening in the news and cities across this country. Ought to make us angry. And ought to make us sad. So when we feel this overwhelming sense of grief and sadness. At something we don't like that shouldn't be. We need to take it to God. He's the only one who can melt that barrier. He's the only one who can resolve this conflict. And here's the last thing, or not the last, but the third thing I'm going to talk about. Joy. Joy ought to make you pray. Joy ought to motivate you to spend time with God. Some of the, some of the greatest praise songs in the Bible are right after a great victory, a great breakthrough. Right after Mary just found out that she's, uh, she's going to have a baby, Jesus. Right after the Israelites got across the other side of the Dead Sea, Miriam did her praise to God. Yes. When something great happens, when a breakthrough comes, we ought to be filled with joy, and that joy ought to make us pray. In other words, we don't just pray for God when we want Him to do something for us, but sometimes we pray to God when we're thanking Him for what He has done. Yes. And that's, and that's a great faith builder to just stop and think about the things that God has done in your life. And here's number eight, my last one, I'll close with this. Prayer is running to God. That's what it is. It's running to God. You don't need to pray if you don't need God in your life. If you need God, if you, there's something going on in your heart right now, if there's something going on in your soul right now, you need God Run to him. Don't be afraid to run to God. When Peter got down out of that boat and started walking on the water toward Jesus, he was walking on the water. But before we say, well, he didn't have enough faith, he sank, that was his own fault. Let's remember, he was walking on the water. It was when he saw the waves boisterous. When he saw the waves all around him, when he saw the turbulence, he knew he couldn't do this alone. It filled him with fear. If you know what it is to have fear in your heart, you know what Peter felt. And Peter prayed that famous prayer. Lord, help me. Save me. Rescue me. It was not a long prayer. It was a very short prayer because he didn't have long to pray it. He just prayed quick. Lord, save me. Lord, rescue me. That's in Matthew 14, 30, if you want to look it up. Run to God.
He's your hope. He's your hope. Those of you that are watching at home, hang on just for a little bit. We're going to sing another song here that talks about running to God. Let's stand together in the house.